The postseason is here, and the Ringer NBA show has you covered with Real Ones, Group Chat, The Answer, and Ringer NBA Postgame. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Coming up on New York, New York, the end has come for the Brooklyn Nets in dramatic and heartbreaking fashion. Game of inches. We got you covered on that. It was a terrific weekend for the New York Yankees. And how about the resurgence of Gary Sanchez and the Mets right now? Yeah, they're trying to figure out their offensive woes, and they need some guys back. We'll have Ryan Rucco, who's going to join the show. We got a ton of voicemails that are coming your way. And how about that Ryan Pollock play for the Islanders? New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in another week. Of New York, New York, we're rocking, we're rolling. It's JJ, Jackie Stremski right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I hope you Net fans are doing A-OK to start off a new week where the Brooklyn Nets will not be the center of attention. Where the Brooklyn Nets will not have the opportunity to take center stage in New York City, in the NBA landscape. You name it. The Brooklyn Nets are going home after losing this seven-game series to the Milwaukee Bucks. And if you're looking for a silver lining 24 hours after the fact, here's what your silver lining might be. At least we hit the Philadelphia 76ers. At least we hit the Sixers. Because, you know, now that I have a day to let this game marinate and let all of my official thoughts kind of stay within me, if you will, we had a ton of fun yesterday. We were rocking and rolling on the locker room. Spotify uh, Green Room. There you go. I'll eventually get the name right. Oh, we can. Spotify Green Room. We did an hour. Calls were great. It was fantastic. I gave the Nets a little bit of a pass. And I think a lot of you who are listening to this podcast might be wondering why. It's an obvious answer. The Brooklyn Nets did not have Kyrie Irving and James Harden at their very best. You can't ignore that. You can't overlook that. You have to be fair and reasonable with that. 
Kevin Durant did everything in his power to go and win this series for Brooklyn to the point where sometimes it is a game of inches. Series can be a game of inches. Kevin Durant's foot was inches away from being a game-winning shot, basically a walk-off shot that's propelling you into the Eastern Conference Finals. Was that close? Durant was magnificent in this series. Any questions about his health? Any questions about whether or not he can be the KD that we saw in Oklahoma City and with the Golden State Warriors? Those questions are over and done with. He was the best player in the NBA that I saw in this postseason. Brooklyn in Game 7 ran out of gas. It's really the best way to look at it. They completely ran out of gas. I mean, they did absolutely nothing on offense. They had multiple chances to kind of grow their lead in the overtime session. And that's another thing. I'm shocked Milwaukee, with their history, found a way after Durant hits that shot to win the game. Give credit what credit is due. But Brooklyn ran out of gas. Harden was not where he needed to be, and Harris killed him. Now, Joe Harris maybe didn't get the same looks he would have gotten if Kyrie Irving is in, if James Harden is 100%, but they're paying Joe Harris a boatload of money. Couldn't find the guy in this series. Basically needed a milk carton. Might as well put out an all-points bulletin to try to find Joe Harris. Couldn't find the guy. Brooklyn had moments from Griffin. They had moments from Green. They had moments from Brown. They got... Nothing out of Joe Harris in this series. And that killed them. And it especially killed them in game number seven. But as the Nets now move forward, and I don't buy for a minute any chatter and conversation about the complexion and feel of the team drastically changing. Nothing to me is changing with Brooklyn. Maybe, maybe the idea of getting an interior presence type guy a little bit of an upgrade over what you currently have. I could roll with that. I think that's something that would be a nice finishing touch. But this is the roster. This is the team. And Brooklyn's fortunes on winning an NBA title, to me, come down to the simple fact of, can you keep KD, Kyrie, Harden on the court for an extended period of time? And that's where the regular season hurt Brooklyn from this standpoint. They wanted to make sure guys were right for the playoffs. You saw that with Irving. You saw that with Durant. Understandably so. You also saw it with Harden. And maybe there was some karma working against Brooklyn from this vantage point. James Harden quit on the Houston Rockets. Was magnificent in Brooklyn. Could not have played better for the Brooklyn Nets. But quit on the Houston Rockets. Was fat. Was out of shape. Didn't give a rat's ass. That's reality. He came to Brooklyn. He was a little pudgy. He was a little out of shape. He got into shape very quickly. But his hammy giving out the way that it did. Can't prove this. I can't say with certainty it's a direct correlation. But you wonder if you're in better shape throughout the offseason and into the start of the regular season if your hammy holds up. And you're not in the position that you're in in this Milwaukee series. Horn's got to be in better shape here in this offseason. He cannot look like Houston James Harden in October and November. And I get it. COVID, 
short year, quick turnaround, all true. Harden said, screw it, I'm done playing for the Houston Rockets. And kind of ate away his feelings, basically. Played great for Brooklyn. Nothing but praise for his game with Brooklyn. But that sort of bad karma? Maybe even doubt here in this particular series. Kyrie, listen, Kyrie had a phenomenal season. And I am by no means the leader of the Kyrie Irving fan club. I don't like the fact that he plays when he wants to. I don't like the fact that he quit on the Boston Celtics a few years ago. I am not going to be waving Kyrie Irving pom-poms. He was incredible this year. He also has a knack and a propensity for getting hurt. Got hurt in this particular series. Tough break. Some will say maybe that's karma for the idea of playing when you want to play. Who knows? The bottom line is Brooklyn has a championship window with these particular guys. They got some bad breaks here in this postseason. They did. You love what you saw from Durant. You're bummed out about the injuries. Yes, that plays a major role. And you hope and pray that come next year, the team is 100% right. Because if they are, they're going to be the Vegas favorite to win the NBA title. We'll go in October, November, when I'm reading off the odds like we do for FanDuel Sportsbook. I guarantee you, Brooklyn will be title favorite. Get you guys where they need to be. Get a rim protector, and we'll see you next year. And one last thought on Game 7. I applaud the resiliency of the Milwaukee Bucks. I didn't think they had that in them. I most certainly didn't think they had that in them when Durant hits the shot to tie the game. So hats off to Giannis and Drew Holiday, who couldn't hit anything but came up big in the clutch. Middleton, Tucker, who could play for my team any day of the week. Milwaukee did a well of a job. I'm thinking about the last sequence in overtime. And we spent a lot of time on the Spotify green room discussing what you would have done in this spot if you were Steve Nash. He let his guys play. He had a timeout in his back pocket. Steve Nash, MVP player, MVP point guard. He's probably one of those guys that didn't want a timeout in that situation. That he wanted his coach, Mike D'Antoni or whoever, to trust him, let him work, let him operate. That's what Nash did with Kevin Durant. The problem is, Kevin Durant was totally cooked. Guy played every minute, no breathers, no respites. I thought he could have used it. It's not the reason Brooklyn lost this particular game. They got killed on the glass. They weren't good enough on offense in overtime. Their role player in Harris, who was a great three-point shooter, killed them. That's why they lost, okay? Would I have called the timeout in that situation? I absolutely would have called the timeout in that situation. So I don't know if that will haunt you more or Durant's foot being on the end line, but a second-round exit. And now we will watch the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks play in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. I mean, my mind is just completely blown by that. Milwaukee and Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Finals. And right now somewhere, Adam Silver and a bunch of NBA executives, not particularly happy that one of their crown jewels for this postseason is now saying sayonara. Nets go home. We got you covered every which way. This is a jam-packed show. The great Ryan Rucco is going to check in 
Yes Network, ESPN, did the Yankees this weekend, did the Nets throughout the year. Thought it was a perfect day to get Ruko on. We'll have some fun with him. We'll let it rip. Then we're going to get to all the baseball and all the hockey because it was a wild, wild weekend. Terrific weekend for the Yankees. Another triple play. I mean, three triple plays in a season. That's some crazy shit right there. It was not a particularly good weekend for the Mets. We got you covered on that. And how about Ryan Pollock? And how about the New York Islanders holding on for dear life to even up this series with the Tampa Bay Lightning? It was a wild weekend. We got you covered. Voicemails are coming up. Some picks for the Eastern and Western Conference. Finals are coming up, and I might be licking my wounds. I think the Sixers are going on the list. And Ben Simmons is going on the list. Never, ever, ever, ever again. A lot more to do. Ryan Rucco, up next. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. So we got Ryan Rucco coming up. Audio is from my Zoom file. I was at my parents for Father's Day. And sometimes the recorder has other plans. But it's Zoom audio quality. It's still pretty good. Ryan Rucco's up next. Let's welcome in a guy that I've been watching for a long, long time. And he is a part of the Ringer family. You see him on Yes. You see him on ESPN. And he actually brought some really good vibes to win in the New York Yankees. Ryan Rucco, what's up, Ryan? <laughs> Hey, man, I'm happy to bring good vibes wherever I go, uh, including here. So thanks for having me, man. I'm, I was pumped when you became a part of the uh, Ringer family, and I'm pumped to be on with you, man. Let's start with some good news. I'll save the Nets for a little bit. I don't want to okay. damp the mood right out of the <laughs> gate. But in all seriousness, yeah. I have been so down and so negative on the Yankees for the first two months of the year. And listen, rightfully so. They haven't played good baseball. They haven't hit at all. And they were kind of in this position, Rod, where they needed a little pick-me-up here. They needed a little kick in the ass. And maybe I'm getting a little too optimistic. Maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse. But I think looking at what they were able to do this week, sweeping the Toronto Blue Jays, taking two out of three from Oakland, much better at bats as a whole. You watched them up close in person this weekend. Do you get the sense this team is potentially, perhaps, have they turned the corner? I, I do, I do, and and you know we we talk with Garrett Cole today on a, a a Zoom, and he said, look, we've had quite a few of those moments this year where you know we've kind of had those look in the mirror moments, and it feels like maybe you know we start to get something going. So he's like, I don't want to say we're definitely on our way yet, but it feels like we're starting to get on our way, and that was before the win today, um, and so I think it's there's some caution with it. But this does feel different, and and look, JJ, you watch the Yankees as closely as anybody, so you know I, I I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. But to me, this little week stretch feels different than any of the other like oh, it seems like they're bouncing back moments because of the way they've hit and because of Sanchez. You know, oh, I mean, of course, yeah, yeah th- that's the difference to me. You know, because. Like, okay, Urshela has come along offensively, and, and I should also say DJ. You know, DJ starting to look, uh, if not totally like himself, much closer to himself. 
is significant. But for me, it's Gary, because when you put Gary in the middle of that lineup, and like he stepped up today with first and second and, you know, one out in the sixth inning against the guy who had been dealing, and I, I was fully expecting him to get a hit, which he did. That's a completely different mentality than I've had over the last two years when Sanchez steps into the box. And there are some reasons why I feel that way now based on what he's changed with his swing and, and where he's at. But so to me, you know, there, there are a few different factors going into it. But the main thing for me is Gary looking like Gary makes me feel and, and the offense looking like the offense makes me feel like this is a little different. Listen, I've been one of the leaders of the Gary Sanchez Apologist Club. And I got to admit, Rod, the last year and a half before this last month or so, I was taking a whole lot of heat. I was taking a whole lot of L's, and justifiably so. But I think you mentioned it. I don't know if it's abandoning the leg kick. I don't know if it's a shorter swing. But this is the confident guy we saw in 2019 when he was an all-star. This is the guy we saw in 2016, 2017 when he came up. I mean, for goodness sakes, he lost his starter's position this year. They were playing Hagee a lot more than they were playing Gary Sanchez. And now Gary has not only taken it, he's to a point now where he's hit third in the order, he's hit fourth mm-hmm. in the order. You mentioned that idea of getting his confidence back. I think it's the ultimate game changer for this team. If they can have Sanchez hitting like this and being that sort of force, kind of validates why Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman have stuck with him and have been as patient with him for as long amount of time. Yeah, definitely. Because if you have a catcher who hits like this, it's an asset that just, you know. Nobody I, has I, it. Yeah. Nobody it, has it. It's just too unique, you know. And, and think of like, I remember towards the end of Posada's career, I realized, wow, you know what? When I go down roster to roster, the one thing that's always different is that, you know, we got a catcher who can hit like this, you know. And, 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 and Posada was this incredible difference maker because of that, because he was this unique asset. And that's what Gary is when he's at his best, right? He is a completely unique asset uh, when it comes to uh, the game of baseball because you just don't get catchers who can hit like that. But I think that, you know, one thing that I've I've constantly heard, CeCe would always tell me this, and, and I've heard it from so many different guys. Um, today, somebody else was talking about it. I think it was Jordan Montgomery today as well. Um, Gary is a ridiculously hard worker. And for whatever reason, you know, that was not his reputation uh, when it came to media and people who like to jump on Gary. But Gary works his tail off. And Aaron Boone used the word the other day, courage. And he said it takes a lot of courage to make the adjustments that Gary has made in season. And some people would roll their eyes at that or scoff at it. But he made major mechanical adjustments to his swing over the last month or so. And it does take courage to do that because when you're used to one thing, I mean, anybody who's even just tried to tweak something with their golf swing, right, knows how much that can set things awry. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare, man. And he put in the work to actually totally rework his lower half. And what it's done is it's it, it, it's kept him from jumping out at pitches. It, I was having this conversation with Marcus Timms the other day. Now that we have access to the field, we can actually have these conversations. And uh, it's ke- and it kind of everything everything goes um, sort of in rhythm when his lower half is quiet the way it is right now. And it's gotten his confidence back. And it's gotten his swagger back. And I just truly believe that that is a big part for Gary as well. And so he worked on the mechanics. He found his rhythm. 
and now he's found his confidence. And to me, we see that manifest on the field when he's going to right center field. And where were his doubles today? You know, they were smoked to the right center field gap where he lived when he came up and first burst onto the scene. And that's always been a problem for him. When he gets in the funks, he's trying to hit everything 500 feet, left field, way too pull happy. You're so right about that. Now, I wonder if you have the same critique with this team that I do. I hate, Ryan, that they're as right-handed as they are. And I understand, look, like, I heard Cash in the offseason. He's like, well, I'm not going to dump Luke Voigt and get a first baseman who's half as good just because, oh, he's left-handed. But I felt like when the Yankees have gone into these postseason series and they've struggled offensively, these righties who mow, whether it's Morton, Ovaldi, you know, like the analytics will say, all right, their righties hit the ball the other way. They hit it out of the ballpark. They beat the shift. Sure. But when you face those super nasty guys, I feel you need some balance in that lineup. So when I'm looking at the deadline, I'm thinking about what the Yankees need to do between now and the end of July. I think they desperately need a left-hand hitting outfielder. Is that number one on the Ryan Rucco shopping list, if I could give you one? <laughs> you know, I agree with your philosophy. And I think even the Yankees would say they agree with your philosophy because as much as they've been super right-handed, think about where they would hit their few left-handed bats, right? Like they would hit Aaron Hicks third. They would hit Brett Gardner third. Let's not forget, they were putting Brett Gardner in the three spot in the playoffs two years ago because of exactly what you're talking about, breaking up all the right-handed hitters. It's not like Gardner would have profiled as a number three hitter at that point in time. He just happened to be left-handed. So I, I think your philosophy is right, and I think even the organization um, it would be in the same place as you. I think there's sort of been a lack of options, um, but I... I I actually, the, my number one priority is athleticism at, at, the, at the deadline. I, I want to get some sort of athlete who can play center field. Well, you don't want station-to-station guys, too. Yeah, That's another, I get center field. Yeah. But you know what? You see these teams, like you watch the Padres, right? They go yeah. first to third. Yeah. I want, it's very, like, anti-2021 baseball. But yeah. I know you and I, like, kids in it's the fun. 90s growing it's up fun. with that. That's yeah. awesome, dude. Yeah. I love that shit, the, man. I love I, it. I agree. That's how I feel, too. And, and so for me, left-handed, yes, but athleticism, yes. So if they could find something like, obviously, like Cedric Mullins would be the dream, right? But if they could find somebody who can tick that box of being a, somebody who's like really athletic with some speed, who's also left-handed, that's really what I want. I'm going to throw a guy at you because Cattell Marte is the dream, right? He's a stud. Yeah. If you find a way to get him, that's like too good to be true. Yeah. Wouldn't it be wild if the Yankees got their hands on Ben Benintendi Ben oh. would be a great fit on their team. Really that's, a, that's a really interesting one. I haven't heard anyone bring that up, but that's a really interesting one. And, and, you know, maybe the only thing I would say is, do we think, do we think Kansas city is going to want to be in a position to, to deal? Well, they're tanking now last week or so. And I almost took them in one of those eliminator pools. Thank you, yeah. Ryan. I made the right decision. <laughs> Uh, sometimes those decisions are make or break. We got it right. We avoided yeah. Kansas City. All you need to know is, oh, I took Cleveland, and they won four straight games. So it was a feed-up weekend. <laughs> so I saw the I saw the Royals got swept by the Tigers. I was like, all right, you know, maybe yeah. they, you know, trade off a couple of guys. Yeah. I'm in a position where I live to die another day. Everybody wins, dude. Yeah. You know what? That's, a, that's an interesting one. I'd be open to that. Here's a guy who has talent, who you could take a chance on, who maybe is helped by the ballpark as well who's obviously used to playing the division. I know he's 
you know, he he hasn't lived up to what we thought he was going to be when he first burst onto the scene in Boston, but he's still in a, in a, in a year that's, you know, down offensively. He's still had pretty solid numbers this year with Kansas City, like hitting over 280 with an OPS under 800, but in the high 700s. I, I don't mind that, JJ. I don't mind that. He's an athlete as well. I don't mind that as an option. Okay. Yankees going to be a playoff team this year. Yeah. What is the number one X factor for Ryan Ruka between now and the end of this year that needs to happen? Hmm. You know, it, I do think they need to add something we were just talking about, right? I, I think they, I do think they need to add athleticism, preferably left-handed bat in center field. I think that's important, but my that we know that at this point. So I'm going to give you something different. Okay, JJ. I like that. I, I like I, different. I, I, I'm going to give you. They need to. They need to have a number two starter that they feel almost as good about as they feel with Cole. Now that means Sevy or Kluber to me. That's to what me, I'm thinking, right? Or you're to, thinking a trade. Uh, to me, it means Sevy or Scherzer. Like that's a, yeah. Well, that would be the ultimate ace in a hole, and you know yeah. this, right? If they trade him, a team like the White Sox or the Red Sox or whoever could be in on him in the American League. That's yes. scary. Yes, and, and yes, a hundred percent. And I think that there has to be lessons learned there, right? Like the Yankees, they waited on Cole, and yes, now they have him, but it would have been useful to keep him from Houston, right? And we saw the same exact thing with Verlander. And what happened there at the deadline. And I just think that, you know, especially while Cole's in his prime, I understand the financial ramifications are very real. And people like to scoff at that. But, you know, I, I don't. I don't. Because I know what a hit it was to this franchise during COVID last year. And what it was like playing a 60-game season with no fans in the stands. You know, we've, we've seen the way businesses were, you know, destroyed in different levels and, and, and took different hits during COVID. And, and, you know, and at the end of the day, these teams are businesses, you know, and they may be obviously in better position to survive long-term, but that doesn't mean there aren't certain things they have to do in the short term. However, when push comes to shove, I think that the Steinbrenners always reach in their wallet when they think it's going to make the difference between winning and losing. And I think this season there will be enough evidence to show, hey, something else is needed here. And I always think, too, when you have those dominant starting pitchers, it takes pressure off the offense. And as we've seen in October, as much as we want to talk about the 2015 Royals, you know, blueprint with, you know, the dominant bullpens, you need to have some starters who can give you length, period. You hey, just look at the Dodgers, do. look at the Nationals, bro. Yep, Scherzer, yep. Strasburg, boom. Yeah, you need, you need it. You need it because it's if you're going to get all the way through, you're just not going to do it throwing Chad Green every day. And those bullpens day. run out of gas. You saw it with Tampa. Exactly. As good as their bullpen was with that stable of dudes, yeah. they got in the World Series with the Dodgers. They were completely cooked. Which cooked. was which was why the taking Snell out made no sense in game yep. six, right? So I, I believe they need a guy who you feel like is going to go out and shove after Cole does. And maybe it's Seve. You know, Seve's had sort of an uneven October career, right? He's had some ridiculously gutsy dominant starts and then he's had some very flat starts so maybe it's Sevy or maybe it's Scherzer and even though Scherzer wouldn't solve the offensive issues or the athleticism issues I I think he would I think he'd make you feel a lot better about your chances in October 
Okay, so it took me about 12 to 13 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. I don't know. But now I got to get to the bad news for you, unfortunately, as I see yeah. you rocking the beard T-shirt. Yeah. It was – I mean, that's a beautiful shirt right there. Even though I'm not an <laughs> FN, that is, that is a beautiful shirt. Thank I you. Like Thank you. For what it's worth, Ryan, I got the graphic tee that was, like, old school from the 96 World Championships. You know, like all the fathead cartoons. Yeah, heads. yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that at some vintage store the other day. I said, yeah. I know it's going to look terrible. I'm going to get mocked, but I'm in on that, actually. I like that. You know, this is uh, Homage, uh, a company based in Ohio, does some cool T-shirts. They do, like, the NBA Jam shirts. Nice. They did, they did a collaboration with the Nets and with, with the NBA uh, on a few ones. So, yeah, I like this beard one. It, it is a cool shirt. Unfortunately, the beard was not where he needed to be health-wise. Oh. And listen, that is that is to me the ultimate ace in the hole. It's not a good ace in the hole, but it's reality for Brooklyn. Bitter game seven loss. Durant could not have played any better. But not having Kyrie Irving and not having James Harden at 100%, you can't roast this team the way you would roast maybe a team at full strength for losing in the second round with these sort of expectations. Because you don't have your second and your third best player. Tough to beat a team like Milwaukee that way, dude. Yeah, that that's how I feel. I mean, people talk about, well, hey, you can't make excuses. But, you know, sometimes there are things called reasons that aren't excuses. The reasons, you know. And if you were going to look at this series, look, I, I have great respect for Milwaukee. They're long. They defend. I think we've seen in these playoffs, Chris Middleton can hit a big shot for you. As much as people like to give Giannis flack, he has been absolutely fantastic in these playoffs. Let's not forget he put up 40 in Game 7, including you know uh, hitting some big free throws despite his struggles there. He really started his free throws as the game went along and a huge game-tying bucket, right? Not to mention what he does on the defensive end. A and it, I looked at this series and I thought this was a seven-game series with the Nets completely healthy, right? Because Milwaukee did some things well that the Nets struggle with when it comes to the offensive glass and the size. And so I thought totally healthy this was a seven-game series. Now, having seen the way the first two games unfolded, when, when Harden went down 37 seconds into game one, I thought... That's it. You know, like this is good, especially because if you watch the next season, as I know you did, Harden was the biggest difference maker. Oh, he's a game and changer. And why yeah. it's amazing considering what he was in Houston and what yeah. kind of shape he was in in Houston, the way he came here and basically fit like a glove. Like yeah. normally you have these big threes and this chemistry and it's this and it's that. You didn't see it with them because they weren't on the court enough throughout the course of this year. But when all three of those guys play together, it's like they've been playing together for five or six years. Yeah, because I think they were just so unselfish. You know, they really were. And Harden was a huge reason why. I mean, they went 19-4 and four with Durant out because of Harden, you know, because of the way he was facilitating and making everyone around him better. And Kyrie obviously also had a great year, you know, as that, as that sniper, as that two guard instead of the point guard, which I think was perfect for him. Um but so I thought it was a seven-game series with them totally healthy. You take Harden out of the mix. The guy who was the biggest difference maker for them during the season when it came into winning and losing, and I'm thinking, okay, they're in huge trouble. Then after the way they play in the first two games, you're like, my gosh, okay, maybe they're, they're going to get by. Just keep the ship afloat. Harden's eventually going to come back. You'll have him for the other rounds. When Kyrie goes down, it changes everything. And... You know, I, I know some people will point to, well, if they would have game, won game three, well, yes. Like, if they would have won game three, everything's different. But let's not forget, they were still playing a really good team who they had already beaten twice, down one of their top three guys, on the road, trying to scrap out a win. And it, 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 if we're going high level, the reason the Nets lost this series, 
is because of the injuries. I mean, that's the re- that's the reality. So you can't. And I don't think it's over. an excuse either. I no. think it's fair. I think it's justified. And think about this, Ryan. You're inches away yeah. from Durant shot. Like that would haunt me all offseason if I'm an F fan. You're inches yeah. away, dude. Yeah. From that being a three, and that's yeah. a walk off three, and you're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's what hurts, right? Because I, because it, it, it's sort of like there's this multifaceted way of evaluating this series. On one hand, yeah, the reason you can't kill them or it would be silly to is we all know that the number one reason they did not win this series is because they lost both Kyrie and Harden. Harden missed the entire first four games, then played on one leg the last three games, and Kyrie misses the last three and a half games. We know, we know that's the number one reason they lost. Now, having said that, Milwaukee, that's not taking away credit from them because Milwaukee had to take advantage, and they did, and credit to them for doing that. Especially so a team, by the way, that never wins big games. Yeah, that exactly. Something. And I don't know if you felt this way watching a game, Ryan. Yeah. When Durant hits that shot to tie the game, yeah. I'm like, there's no way in the world yeah. Brooklyn is losing this game yeah. knowing Milwaukee's history. That showed me something. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't like an overtime for the ages. They gutted it out, though, man. I yeah. give a ton of props to that. I really do. I agree. I agree. And even being down 2-0 and getting smoked the way they were in those games, especially game two and then fighting back. Milwaukee showed mental fortitude. Drew Holiday did as well. He was having a horrendous game and then hit big shots in the fourth quarter. But this is why it's it's this multifaceted thing, John. It's like, so so high level, I don't think any net fan walks away and says like, you know, oh my gosh, these guys, you know, this team, this team choked, they failed because of the injuries, right? And we all know that that was the biggest difference. But at the same time, you were an inch away from winning that game. And that's what's hurt. That's what hurts. Because if you somehow find your way through game seven against the Bucs, and I felt all along, whoever won this, that series, this was before any of the injuries, I felt whoever won that series was going to go on to win the finals. And if you found your way through, you were going to be the favorites to win the championship, and there was a path to getting Kyrie back. Now, I don't think the Nets would have been able to, you know, accelerate all the way to the championship if Kyrie didn't come back, because I think they would have gassed out. But if they, if you were going to get Kyrie back and you could just win this game, there's a path to a title, and that's what's tough because. It's easy to say, like, look, you were dealt some awful blows, you know, kind of a dirty play by Giannis with Kyrie going down, you know, Harden, who's ridiculously durable, gets hurt. Like, you're trying to survive. Like, you lost to a great team. You played your guts out. It happens. But the tough thing is, yeah, but you were still, you were an inch away from advancing. You were literally, literally an inch away from advancing. And beyond, there's so many things in that game, John beyond the toes on the line from Kevin, the thing I think about, to your point about believing they were definitely going to win after he hit that shot, is in the beginning of overtime, they take the two-point lead. Their defense is incredible. This is before Blake fouls out. He did such a you know tough job on Giannis. And they get, they get like four shots in that one possession where they got offensive rebound after offensive rebound, and they couldn't score. And then Harden's fouled, and it looks like he's fouled on the three, but it's a side out of bounds instead. And they get like six or seven, maybe even eight shots while it was a two-point net lead. Remember, Milwaukee didn't score at all until 1-11 left in overtime. Nets had several shots to make it a two-possession game, and they couldn't do it. And, you know, they ran out of gas. They ran out of gas, but you're always going to think about what if with Durant's toe, and what if if just one possession goes differently and they get through. Do you get Kyrie back? 
you know, do you end up winning that title? That's that's tough. It's tough, even though there's a reason. There's a really good reason why they lost to a really good team. It's still tough. And that's why I think going into the offseason, listen, maybe they get a veteran rim protector, and that's something they prioritize. But people asking me, well, what do you do with the team? I'm running this team back, basically, right? You know, yeah. get me a big, get me a guy who can do a little bit of the dirty work, but I'll have the big three. Harris, who could not have played worse in the postseason. And I wonder with him, too. You had him on the podcast. Yeah. He's got a boatload of confidence, which you love. Do you think that him missing as many shots as he did is a direct result of not having Pete Corden and not having Pete Kyrie? And then all of a sudden, Milwaukee's saying, hey, I don't have to worry about Kyrie anymore. Harden yeah. is not the same threat. Let's really bottle up Joe Harris. Because this is not the same guy we saw in the Boston series or in the regular season. Yeah, it, it's interesting, John, because I think I do. I know Joe so well, and and he's a. I, I've always taken him as like a really mentally tough guy, um, and a great dude, and somebody who also Nets fans feel an affinity for because he's part of the rebuild group too, right? That helped bring this team back to a place where they were attractive enough for players like Kyrie and Durant to even want to come here. You know, if it's not for the contributions of Joe Harris. They're not coming, but it's interesting. I, what you bring up is a point that I don't think was brought up enough. Milwaukee was able to put more defensive attention on Harris because of what happened with Kyrie and what happened with Harden. So I don't think he had the same airspace. And then, you know, I do also wonder if once he has sort of the one bad game and the other guys are hurt, you know, does it get in his head a little bit where he all of a sudden realizes, oh my gosh, I have to be the number two offensive option on this team. You know, you go from number four and you're playing with three Hall of Famers to number two and you're trying not to let down one Hall of Famer, right? And that's a big difference. And and so, you know, I, I don't know because I do trust Joe seriously mentally, big time. I trust him. But, you know, he... The, the other time I could think of him going through shooting struggles like that was actually the first round of 2019 against Philadelphia. Nets won game one. Philly really put a lot of defensive attention on him then. He 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 played pretty well in game one. I think he had like four, four or five threes in game one against Philly. And then he shot, I believe, one of 17 from three games two from through five. And Joe Harris is not a one of 17 type shooter, nor is he you know, the kind of three-point shooter that he was from games three through seven in this series, right? And so some of it, I think, is the extra attention that's paid to him at this time of year. And then some of it, I also wonder if in this case, he starts missing a few, and all of a sudden, instead of just shooting it, he's hoping it as he releases because he knows he knows that, you know, it, I mean, he even said it after the game, John. He said, I know if I hit shots, like, we're probably in a different position. And it's... It's kind. You don't want to put it all on one guy, especially when two guys have gotten hurt. But you know, I think we all know if Joe shoots threes the way he normally shoots threes, then this team is probably in the Eastern Conference Finals right now. Dude, I think about your career, and you got some great gigs, man. You know, Yankees. <laughs> you're hanging out with the Yankees. Yeah. You're hanging out doing ESPN games. You're doing the Nets. I always ask this of play-by-play guys. Is the guy's never done play-by-play, and I like kind of find myself like a savant. Like I love yeah. to, I have my guys that you don't have you guys. You're one of my guys. You don't got to worry about that. Thank of course. you. <laughs> that goes saying. But for you specifically, yeah. do you have a favorite sport to call? Is it baseball? Is it basketball? Or is it seasonal? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think that to a certain degree, it's seasonal. Um, there's, it, there's different moments. Like if you, 
So there's nothing like 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 being on the floor calling an NBA playoff game. I mean, it is just the athleticism is just ridiculous, and the energy of the crowd and the the rhythm of the the rhythm of how you use your voice in a broadcast in basketball is so tied to the rhythm of the action and the crowd like kind of crescendoing behind you. It feels like, yeah, I mean, it feels like a symphony. It really does, and and it's just it's. It's hard to describe the adrenaline rush of that and the energy of that. And so if you were to tell me, hey, if you're just picking any random game, what would you choose? I'd choose a random NBA game over, you know, over anything else. But if you're talking about the Yankees, you know, I love the Yankees and I, you know, I love this franchise and and the attention that's paid to the broadcast I love. Um, and I love the relationship I have with the guys, you know, just just getting to dive into things with people like Coney. Uh, and, and then if you think about a, a baseball game with stakes, which every Yankee game feels like it has stakes, it's, it's awesome. And it's intense. You know, I, I don't think I would get the same high out of calling a random A's Rays game that I would a random, you know, uh, Hawk Sixers game. I get right? that. Cause you yeah. see the Youngs or you see an Embiid or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. the Yankees are in your blood. I mean, I, I listen, I feel the same That's, way. It's the first yeah. game I went to. It's my yeah. team. I live in nine yeah. pitch. I know the deal. You mentioned those relationships. You and CeCe, and I, I felt like, geez, I was like, oh, I'm in a tough spot here. <laughs> first game at the ringer. I got a feeling for Rye <laughs> with Lindor, and I didn't even know Lindor was going to get the contract at this point. So when I saw that, I was like, all right, thank God. I don't got to be a jerk and ask him all sorts of tough <laughs> questions and ruin their podcast. But UNC got this unbelievable chemistry, dude. It's awesome to hear. I think it's amazing. Thank How you. did that happen exactly? You know, I think we really, we hit it off talking hoops in the Yankees clubhouse. Um, when he came in 2009, I'll say this, you know, CeCe at that time, he's like 27 or something like that. And, um, you know, superstar and the most... Uh, just like approachable, easy to talk to superstar I had come across in sports. And we had this common interest because uh, I was rooting very hard for the Lakers in those finals. Cause I was a diehard Kobe fan and he was rooting for the Lakers as well. He, he bounces all over the place with his NBA fandom. But at that point he was a Laker fan. Now he's a Nets fan. Um, and I, uh, so we bonded over like that first summer the Lakers were playing in the finals against the Magic. And we bonded over kind of the Lakers playoff run and, and talking about those games. And then um, over time, like CeCe's, a, as you know from the pod, like he's a diehard sports fan. Like, you know, he's, he's not, into it, man. Yeah, he's not phony. I talk not, Raiders with him. He's yeah, referencing yeah, this, that. Yeah. I even had to mention a Fitzpatrick play. You know, somebody's got to be the bad guy. <laughs> it's got to be me, bro. It's true, though. Like, because, you know, sometimes you get guys, especially if they, if they're, you know, they play, they're in this, you know, business and, and it's like, you, you don't have the same, like, kind of like crazy emotions with the game that you or I do. I did last night, right? Watching that game or, or, you know, you did today with the triple play and my, myself as well. Right. But he does have those emotions. So we just bonded over that. And then we had some mutual friends and, and I, we kind of just developed this natural uh, chemistry and friendship as I was hosting the in-house stuff for the Yankees for the scoreboard and and for online Yankees on demand was the thing at the time in yankees.com and and then eventually with yes and um 
he was always just great to me. We, we went from kind of friendly to friends. And he used to say to me, and he would text me when I was hosting my radio shows on ESPN uh, New York, 98.7. And he would text me during it, like whatever. And then he'd be like, yo, we got to do something someday. We got to do a podcast someday, you know. And uh, after I did my show, he's like, yo, we got to, he would tell me we got to do something, whatever. I was like, yeah. And so 2017 spring training, he calls me up. He's like, cuz it's time. We got we to do the podcast together. And I was like, well, look, man. So at this time, my play-by-play career, which has always been my heartbeat, is really, you know, going Well, you're all over the place. You're doing yeah. a couple NBA games. You're yeah. doing a couple of net games. You're yeah. WNBA. You're here there yeah. everywhere, bro. Yeah, course. and it's growing. And, 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 you know, one thing I realized was, you know, I didn't feel like, for me, being on the air every day hosting a talk show was conducive to, to me flourishing with play-by-play for – you know, a couple of reasons. One, it's like, it's very hard when you're in that day to day, right. To then, you know, deal with the, you know, players day to day as well. Right. Or the organizations also vocally, it's hard, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And so I was like, I told C, I was like, if we're going to do this, like, I just, I don't want to make mountains out of molehills. Like I, I want it to be about more like, you know, like our perspectives and storytelling and getting to know guys' personalities and, you know, not just like needlessly killing dudes because it's entertaining for the audience. And and he was kind of like, what kind of podcast do you think I want to do, man? Of course, that's what I want to do. I'm like, all right, great. So we're on the same page. So, so yeah, man, we took off from there and, and, you know, like we were, we were friends at that point already, but uh, I mean, we were, we were, you know, decent friends at that point already, but we've become closer and closer and closer as we've done it for four years now. Um, and the thing I always say, bro is he was committed to it. You know, he could have been, he was active for three years. Our first three years doing the podcast, he was playing. And he could have easily been like, yeah, this is something I want to do, dip my toe in the water, but not be committed to it. But he always was, even when it probably wasn't fun for him to be doing it. He always was. And I think that gave us the basis to continue, man. And um, our chemistry is very natural because we're, we're different. We're very different guys, but we have very similar interests. You know, we love Star Wars. We love Harry Potter. We love Orcas. Uh, we both nerd out on the same stuff, even though we, we, you know, have very different backgrounds and upbringings and, and, you know, we're very, we're very different dudes, but we, we nerd out on the same thing. So I think that bonds us. And the CC bobblehead, unfortunately, I don't see it today, right? Cause I'm not in my home <laughs> studio, but yeah. that is usually overlooking me every moment of every day for better or worse. Nice, so man. I mean, I it's like a classic that. one. I have to judge one while we're at it too. So I'm a little bummed. I, maybe the Yankees <laughs> will actually do bobbleheads later on in the year. So I can add to that collection, man. I yeah. don't know. We got to work on that. Night, they might now that we got fans back in the stands, man. Did we, hey, dude, that's half the battle, bro. I miss my bobbleheads. By the way, R2C2, the great podcast with Ryan Rucco and CC Sabathia. Final one, bro, and I appreciate the time. Yeah, of course, man. You think about a favorite call. I have two off the top of my head when I think Rucco. Okay. Let's, let's see. Actually, let's see. Let's see if Ryan Rucco can guess what I think his two signature calls are. I think one is easy. <laughs> Hicks's catch in Minnesota. Nailed it, of course, which was a wild game. And I basically oh. had to beg a bar to keep it open <laughs> because the game, if you remember, was crazy, crazy yes. late. It was long. I was like, yes. I'm not leaving until this game is over. I was off that night and they had yeah. the sound on. I remember you going nuts. So that yes. is one. Yeah. Job and, the well other, done. and the other, I'm going to say judges home run in Seattle. It's safe. No. That almost hit it out of the ballpark. Oh, that was okay. a great call. That was uh, a great call. But Nets Kings. And, NBA, no, NBA related, not Nets Kings. Hmm. General NBA, national General, NBA. 
National NBA. Um, could it be Augustine's game-winning three in game one against Toronto a couple years ago? It's not a playoff game. It involves oh. one of the most iconic athletes, I think, oh. of the last 50 years. LeBron James at Big the dog. buzzer. Yes. Yeah, ca- catch fire ball game. Nailed it. Yes. <laughs> I'm surprised it Thank took you. like three or four. That's right. You know, so that wasn't as high on the Ruko list then. You know what's funny is it is for me because it's like, it's amazing. You know, I love what I do, man. Like I, I, it, I can understand you, it comes you, across. You know I do. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, play by play to me is, is it's, it's an art. Like it's, it's my passion. It's, it's a craft. It's, it's everything. Like I, and I love, I can't describe the high you get when you're calling a game and you get moments like that and you're so invested, you know, and you feel like you nailed it. Um, anybody who's ever acted in plays, like even growing up, it's like that where you like, you know, it's like that kind of high. And when you get to have those moments associated with like either huge stakes, playoffs, or all-time greats, LeBron, it's just like you have these moments afterwards where you're just like giddy. You feel like you need to go, you know, chug champagne afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. And so for that, honestly, John, I don't know why my mind didn't go there, but it is. It it is one of my all time favorites because it's LeBron. Because I love the I did love the cadence of the call too. And I'll tell you something else. Every time I work with Hubie Brown, who I work with on that game, who by the way is the best. He's eighty seven. He sounds like he's fifty five. I tweeted this it, the other day. By the way, it, Ryan. It's, he's amazing. It, it's unbelievable, and it's such a it's such a privilege. He's like a grandfather to me. Uh, he really is. You know, like I. I'll just like get on the phone. We have a beautiful relationship. You know, we really care for each other. We'll just talk on a random Monday for an hour about different things. He's a big baseball fan too. So he'll watch the games. He's, he's like, are you getting enough games, Yankee games? Like he's so, he's so sweet. And I literally will, I'll fly into cities early when I know I'm doing a game with him, you know, pre pandemic world. Right. Um, because he goes to dinner early. And I want to always be in in the town to be able to go to dinner with him to hear his stories. He's the best storyteller I've ever been to. And my favorite part about that LeBron game is as, you know, you know, like that, that was a super late game, right? And we get done and Hubie is, I mean, at the time, I think he's 84 or whatever. It's a late night, you know? And he's like about to go to bed and he's like, ugh. I can't go to bed after we got to have at least one drink after that. Yes. game. It's like, yes. you know, it's, it's, it's 1230 in the morning or whatever it is, as we get back to the hotel and Hubie's like, nah, after that game, that high. Cause we felt great about the broadcast too. Also that game, Minnesota and Cleveland, like set a record for combined three point shooting percentage with a certain number of attempts. I think they each were like, you know, 15 or 18 for 30. It was ridiculous. And then it ends with James hitting that shot. And so I'll always remember then like having a beer at the bar afterwards with Hubie reliving it because what's great about Hubie too is he still has the enthusiasm for the game like it's his first time out there, you know, and after everything, seeing everything that he's seen in his career, he, he, his joy sounds like someone who's seeing it for the first time and it's infectious and it's, and I love it. And, and so that's a... That's a special one for me, too. I'm glad you remember that one, there you go. JJ. I, listen, I appreciate that's what I'm that. here for, bro. Listen, I, thanks so I much for doing that. this, number one. And number two, let's make sure. I know you got a busy schedule. You're doing a ton of games. Mm-hmm. Listen, and I'm not looking to boot Mike. I love Michael. Michael's yeah. doing fabulous <laughs> work. But when you're there, 
There's some, there's some good juju in the Bronx, right? I'm just saying, bro. I'm hey, just saying. Hey, this is what I always say. People like people when whenever I do games and stuff, they'll like tweet at me stuff. And I always say, you can have love for both of us. You know, Michael's, Michael's great at what he does. He's, 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 he's great to me. 155 games on yes or whatever is a lot of inventory. We can both get plenty of time to do our thing. And when I'm there, uh, I will definitely, um, I'll definitely try and bring some some good juju uh, like I feel like I've been able to do thus far. I'll continue to try and bring some good juju. That a boy. I'll see you on the golf course soon. All right, <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Keep up the great work. Hey, one last thing, John. I just want to compliment you. When uh, One thing I've always loved about you and, and, and listening to FAN so many times, like after games, it's funny because, you know, I, I wasn't in the car a ton, but I felt like whenever I was, it happened to be like a late night because I'm driving home from Bristol yeah, or whatever, course. you know, like the few times I'd be in a car, someone who was living in the city. And, um, and I always felt like, man, John just has his finger on the pulse of like, uh, of the, what the fans thinking, but also the game, right? Like, I always feel like, you know, the game, like whatever sport you're talking about, you know, the game. And I appreciate that so much. And the, the instance I could think about that I feel is particularly relevant today is Nets Bucks. They met for the first time after that big three trade, that crazy game at Barclays Center where the Nets win, like, you know, Durant hits that jumper last, you know, last seconds, Middleton misses the shot, and you breaking down afterwards just how fantastic this game was and how you saw it as a portent of things to come for the Eastern Conference. And you well, I don't even remember that. Battling. It's funny. You got a better memory yes. on that than I do. Yes. I don't even remember that. And I thought you, I thought you nailed that feeling because you walked out of that game and you, and you said, like, sign me up for seven games of that. Sign me up. Well, Little you know did what? I know, right? Fortune teller. That's what we got. I want to take the Bucks to win. Full yeah. disclosure. So not telling that good of fortune. Yeah. Well, if the Nets were healthy, then you would have been right to pick the Nets, right? But, like, I – I, I, I just thought it was like you nailed that moment and you also forecasted it perfectly. And so I wanted to give you some props on that. My man, I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. And hey, you ever got a rant, you know, don't be a stranger. I know you got 10 zillion platforms, but you know, <laughs> you're always welcome here. Don't, don't hey, worry about that. I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm happy to come back anytime it works for you guys. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So that was fun. First time I've ever had Ryan Rucco on the show in any capacity. And he's the good luck charm to the New York Yankees. Did the series a couple weeks ago in Minnesota. They win. He does this weekend on the sidelines for Meredith. And they win two out of three. And that's a really good week for the Yankees. That is a good pick-me-up week for the Yankees. And on Sunday, made no mistake, 
when Araldis Chapman puts the first two guys on base. And considering that Araldis Chapman has kind of gone through that like June swoon, couldn't have been better for two plus months. This happens with closers. I don't care who you are. You used to see it with Mariano Rivera basically every single year. Week or two throughout the year, they're just going to be off. They're not going to be on their game. Chapman's kind of going through that right now. Struggled a little bit on Saturday. Blew a save against the Twins. And when he puts the first two guys here on base against the Oakland A's, I'm like, oh, geez. This is going to be a rotten way to end the week. And the vibe of really kicking ass and going 5-1 and one doesn't feel as good as 4-2 and two, considering the amount of ground the Yankees got to make up. But then the Yankees find a way to get a 5-4-3 triple play to end the game. Their third triple play of the year. You know, I was thinking about it. I don't have the stats to back this up. I would say in my lifetime as a Yankee fan, before this year, maybe I've seen two triple plays. I remember one was in Oakland and CeCe was on the mound. Vividly remember that because I was like, holy smokes, I think that's the first time as a Yankee fan I remember seeing a triple play. Then they had another one against the Orioles a few years later. But to have three in one year, that's insanity. And this one could not have come at a better time. And for the Yankees, look, this was not a banner day for the offense against Sean Mania. But to me, the biggest reason over the last two weeks or so that this team has done a better job of swinging the bats, it's all about the much maligned and the beleaguered and now resurgent Gary Sanchez. Just think about this. Six weeks ago, Gary Sanchez was a bench player for the New York Yankees. Bench player. Spare part. Kyle Higashioka was getting more playing time. I was justifying the idea of Higgy getting more playing time. Gary Sanchez looked like the guy we saw in 2020. Automatic K, not doing much on offense, looking like a far cry of the player we saw in 16, 17, etc. To his credit, he has transformed his swing. And you know what he's done? We've talked about this. He shortened up. Remember that dopey leg kick he used to have? That's gone. He abandoned that. So he's coming through the ball a lot quicker. He's making better contact. Someday it's a go-ahead double going to the opposite field. That is when Gary Sanchez is at his best. Ron Rucco was talking about it. Not when he's pull happy, when he's hitting the ball up the middle, when he's hitting the ball the other way. Gary Sanchez is to the point now, folks, you can mock me for saying this, I don't really care. He's played himself into all-star consideration. Yeah, I said that with a straight face. Because look at the numbers over the last month. This is the version of Gary Sanchez that the Yankees desperately need. He's a difference maker. See, Aaron Boone has moved him up in the order. I don't blame Booney for doing that. He should be up in the order. He's raking. Ride that hot hand. Saturday to bail out Herman. Cortez saved the weekend. 
We can talk about Sanchez and what he was able to do, the triple play. Nesta Cortez saved the weekend for the New York Yankees. They were down 4-1, first and third, pitches out of that jam. Unsung hero. Allowing the Yankees to come back. Allowing Sanchez and Gio Rochelle and John Carlos Stanton to do their work on Saturday. Oakland's a really good team. I bet they're over for the year. I feel really good about that, by the way. But Oakland's really good. They're going to win 90-plus games. The Yankees to go 5-1 and one against Toronto and Oakland. That's a great pick-me-up. Now, the Yankees cannot lose sight of a team like the Kansas City Royals here. You got to beat them up on the Kansas City Royals because you got the Red Sox coming up this weekend. The Red Sox have moved in the first place. That is going to be an enormous series Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. The Yankees have lined up their pitching rotation to make sure that it will be Herman, Montgomery, and Garrett Cole going up against the Boston Red Sox, which I absolutely love. I absolutely support. I think it's a good move by the Yankee brand trust. These games mean a lot. And I hope that this team has turned the corner. This is the best baseball they've played. Even when they were winning games, when they won a bunch of games in May, they weren't scoring runs. They're playing a better brand of baseball. And you've seen it over the last week. I hope it continues. Unfortunately for the Mets, they were due for one of these. They really were. And, you know, I get a lot of critiques. That's nature of the beast. That's what we do. If you don't like it, you're in the wrong business. You should do something else. Go sell insurance or something. Because you're going to have cat calls, critiques, mean tweets, whatever the hell you call it. And some of you Mets fans are upset. Oh, JJ, doesn't give the Mets enough love when they're winning. Only seems to pile on them when they're losing. Listen, they've done a wonderful job this year. And I got a text from the great Zach Brazil over at the New York Post who was asking me, he goes, JJ, are you going to really hammer the Mets for the way they played in Washington this weekend? And my answer to Zach is going to be the same answer I give all of you who are listening right now in New York, New York. No. I'm giving the Mets a little bit of a pass for this weekend. They had a lousy weekend. Aside from Lindor having a monster day in the first game in a doubleheader, their offense was nowhere to be found all weekend. They did not hit a lick. They got shut down by a guy who stunk all year in Patrick Corbin. They couldn't hit John Lester. They lost on Friday night. Nationals are not a good team. You didn't have Scherzer going in this series. You shouldn't lose three out of four. But look at the Mets over the last month. Think about the lineups they have been running out there. This was bound to happen. I'm sorry. If you understand the ebbs and flows of a Major League Baseball season, when you're overachieving with a bunch of spare parts and the bench mob, you can't expect that to last. And as the Mets get ready for what is a pivotal week in the division, Atlanta starting with a double dip on Monday, bunch of games with them. Then you got the Philadelphia Phillies, who right now are in second place, playing a little bit better baseball. Big series there. You need some of the cavalry to return. McNeil coming back. That's a big deal. Michael Conforto on the horizon. That's a big deal. The Mets need these guys back. And you also hope that Lindor on Saturday is a sign of things to come. The Mets need Lindor to be Lindor. He has not been Lindor this year. If it's the contract, if it's a new league, who knows? The baseball's impossible to explain. This would be a good time for Lindor to be Lindor. And everybody's going to be watching Jacob DeGrom on Monday. 
He's not missing a start. I don't agree with this logic, quite frankly. Hopefully the Mets and DeGrom know a lot more than I do, but seeing his last two starts, seeing him leave early in both of those two starts, I would have given him a blow, but I am not a doctor. I am not on the Mets staff, so I could critique, and we'll see if I'm right or if I'm dead wrong. But a big week for the Mets. Tough weekend in Washington. Got to rebound quickly, though. You don't want to allow Atlanta and Philadelphia to get right back in this division race. You got a comfortable lead, but it's not an insurmountable lead at this point. So there's work to do. So we had all that going on with the baseball. But how could I forget about the New York Islanders evening up their series with the Tampa Bay Lightning? They got off to the three-goal lead. Barzy got you one. Matty Martin got you one. Three-goal leads are always like that dreaded goal lead in hockey. You talk about it all the time. Because team sometimes lets up. Can't do that against a team like Tampa. They scored two quick goals in the third period, and that was an intense third period throughout. The play made by Ryan Pollock at the end of regulation to save that shot on what would have been a wide-open net and what would have been a game-tying goal was absolute insanity. Insanity. I don't even know what you equate it to, quite frankly. I, I, I really don't. I have no idea what you would equate that play to. You know, I saw somebody trying to equate it to the Jeter flip play from 2001. It, it, I, I can't, it's like an apples and oranges comparison, you know? I, for one, can't make it. But it was a season saver. It was a game saver. And now we'll see if the Islanders can do what they've done in each of the last two series. They've won pivotal game fives on the road. And I'm going to be at the Nassau Coliseum on Wednesday. First ever trip. I am so fired up. I cannot wait to go. I want to be going to that place with the Islanders up three games to tell. Because that is going to be a seed and a half. That's going to make for one hell of an Instagram story. I mean, it's going to make for one hell of a story no matter what. Who we can. That said, they've been able to wrap these bad boys up in six. Beating the Tampa Bay Lightning on their home ice in a game seven, that is a monumental task. One I'd prefer not to have, quite frankly. So that was gigantic in more ways than one. Ryan Pollock, the Islanders win a Stanley Cup. You're going to see that play on repeat over and over and over again. All right. I think we touched on everything. I want to make sure I touched on everything before we got to voicemails today because it was a loaded weekend. Nets are out. The Islanders are live. Very interesting weekend of baseball. I don't think there's any question. Now, the floor is yours. I have no idea where these voicemails are going to take us. Do I get the sense that there are going to be some Nick fans relishing in the sorrows of Brooklyn Nets fans? Yes, they do. Do I think some Yankee fans are going to be feeling good about themselves? Yes, I do. And we'll see where the Mets fan is right about now. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to be after this weekend. In case you're wondering how to leave a voicemail, it's 917-382-1151. So let's get right to them. Who do we got? Hey, JJ. Mike in Westport. Jesus. What, they don't, you know what? The Nets don't deserve Durant. They don't deserve to have him on the team. That overtime was a disgrace. Wide open threes. Two wide open threes for Harris, and he can't hit one. Wide open three for Harden. Doesn't come close. It's like, what do you want this guy to do? Score every single time you have the ball. The Bucks were handing him that game in overtime. Handing it to them. 
They had the ball over. They're getting offensive rebounds, the Nets, offensive rebounds. They're just going all over Durant. Finally, they have three wide-open threes. I think it was four wide-open threes. Nobody can score. I mean, it's one thing to miss a contested shot. Joe Harris, he sucks. You know, he sucks. He doesn't look for the, doesn't look for the ball over time. I mean, I could see if it's contested, wide-open threes, two of them. Either one of them would have won this series. And, and, and Harden, he was useless out there, you know, throwing up threes, just chucking it up. Oh my God. Well, it's, it, well, how, I feel bad for Durant. You know, he didn't deserve that. You know, he's killing himself out there. What do you want from the guy? Love the show. Bye. I appreciate you. Good start to the show. Love your passion. Anybody who's going to kill Kevin Durant for Brooklyn losing this series is a damn fool. Let's start right there. If you watch this particular series and you're going to get on Kevin Durant, do yourself a favor. Don't bother. Stop watching basketball. Durant was magnificent. Durant and Giannis going back and forth was insane theater in this particular game. James Horton has the excuse he's playing hurt. James Horton has playoff demons, though. He's going to have to exercise them at some point. He missed some open shots, but he has that injury in his back pocket. Joe Harris, on the other hand, does not. Harris's confidence was totally shook. I think the looks he was getting in the Boston series, he was not getting in this series, and it really changed the game four. Now, he got some good looks in game seven, especially in the overtime. But when you're a shooter and you got no confidence, it's like anything else in life. Confidence, Colin. For those of you who watch the OC, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Whether it's hitting a jump shot, whether it's on a golf course, whether it's talking to a lady, whatever the case may be, you can fake it. You can have confidence. And if you don't, and it comes across that way, you're screwed. That's what I noticed with Harris. And he killed him in this series. No ifs, no ends, no buts. Joe Harris killed Brooklyn in this series. He's not going anywhere. He's a key part of what they're going to do. Next year, he's got to be a lot better. Case closed. Who's up next? JJ, it's Anthony uh, in Syosset. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. There isn't a cloud in the sky. Uh, and the Brooklyn Nets are eliminated from the playoffs. And this voicemail isn't really for the team as much as it is for uh, your listeners and callers who were leaving voicemails over the last few months complaining, number one, that you don't talk enough net, and number two, that you and the Knicks fans calling didn't take the Nets seriously. Uh, to those callers, I'd like to say go fuck yourselves. All your big, bad fucking big three did was play one more series than my gritty Tom Thibodeau Knicks did this year. I don't want to hear a fucking excuse about injuries, you motherfuckers. You injured Kyrie Irving. You still have Kevin Durant and Harden. I don't want to hear about Harden's injury. As soon as he goes to the presser after the game, he's making excuses. If you go out and play, you go out and play. Injuries are not an excuse. So, again, to the Nets fans, I guess to the players too, but specifically the fans that were calling your podcast talking shit, go fuck yourselves. Anthony and Syosset. Come from the top ropes. Whoa. You know you can get that from time to time with the great Anthony and Syosset. Coming after the net fan. And listen, I am not going to be as vulgar as Anthony was. Uh, I will leave that to him. That is going to be his deal. Because I, I, even though I don't root for the Nets and I took great satisfaction in the Nets losing game seven, I don't hate you guys. I actually like you guys a lot. I appreciate your, your candor. I appreciate your love or your hate or... Your critiques, all the above. The net fan was out in full force. 
ready to ram it down my throat. Well, we're going to have to wait another year. I think they'll be back. They got a hell of a team. They'll have to wait another year. At least for me, I won't have to be disturbed by that parade on uh, Atlantic Avenue as I'm going for my runs in Brooklyn Heights. I know now July is going to be free and clear. It's good for alternate side parking. Trust me, I'm going to need it. No parade coming down Atlantic in 2021. And the Knicks fan definitely took satisfaction in that's losing last night. Make no mistake. And I'm conflicted because, yeah, like, my heart was pulling for Milwaukee. But from a show sense, like, Brooklyn doing well, you know, it's good for the show. So, you know, sometimes as a sports fan and a sports host, you kind of have to play that balancing act. And sometimes the heart's got to win out. It's okay. We'll make do. We always do. And we'll have a ton of fun. There's always shit going on. Who we can? Who's up next? What's up, Jay? Steven Brooklyn. There's two things about the Nets. So, Kyrie, talk about karma served on a silver platter. I mean, this guy all year was saying how his life doesn't revolve about being a basketball player and he could do without it. Then he goes on and steps on the logo and Celtics with that right ankle of his. And, well, no right ankle and no playing basketball. So, a lot of karma there. And secondly, Joe Harris. I mean, I love Joe Harris. I'm not even a Nets fan, but four years, 75 million. You didn't pay that money to make these shots. Uh, this is the type of series where... They're going to have to look hard in the mirror about if Joe Harris be part of this team. In the NBA Finals, could Joe Harris be out there on the court? I mean, it looks like a hard no. So I think that's got to look at the mirror this, this all season. And that's also Joe Harris and potentially moving him, you know, adding a pick. Uh, Joe's still a good player, but NBA Finals time, could Joe be on the court? And it looks like no, a resounding no. And, and Joe Harris in Game 3 and Game 7, he makes a shot or two. The series, different different story. So that's it about the next trade. Thanks. I agree with your second point. They win this series if Joe Harris plays better. I disagree with your first point. I think Joe Harris can be a part of a championship team. You're not asking him to be the number one or the number two or the number three. Yes, he got overpaid. But in the NBA, where shooting is at a premium, he can shoot the ball. He just shot it terribly in this series. And do I agree with your point with a little bit of karma coming back to bite the Brooklyn Nets a little bit? I sure do. Some are going to say that's harsh and unfair and unreasonable of me, but when a guy like James Harden, who I think is a good guy, by the way. I like James Harden personally. I thought his act and what he pulled in Houston was disgusting and despicable, but for the most part, I like Harden. More so than Irving, who I can't stand, but that's a story for a different day. Harden's act, being rewarded with a championship in year one, that would have been tough to stomach. And then Kyrie, don't get me started. You want to say you feel for the guy with the injury? I do. I don't want anybody to get hurt. Not rooting for injuries in any way. I mean, he's acting like a total clown up in Boston, stomping on the court. And listen, the fans who are total jerks, throwing stuff at him, they're even worse. They're a thousand percent worse. They're scum. They should never go to a game again. So I'm not looking to condone what happened up there. What I'm saying is, Kyrie basically said, yeah, I'm going on hiatus. I'll play when I want to play. I'm not going to give my teammates, my coaches, or whoever an excuse Imagine I did that. Think about that for a minute. Imagine I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not doing New York, New York this week. I don't, I, I, I don't feel like it. I'm not up to it. I don't tell Saruti. I don't tell Fantasy. I don't tell Podfather Simmons. I just don't show up for a week. I'm pretty good at this. I'm not $40 million a year good. But I know what I'm doing. Do you think that would be received well? 
in the Ringer Spotify world? No. They'd be like, JJ, you're an ass clown. You're either suspended or you're fired. And that would be justifiable. I get it. It's the NBA. I get it. He's supremely talented and he had a great year. But when I saw that earlier in the year, it made me sick. Not going to lie. It really pissed me off. Because I found it insulting. For a year, for him to kind of have to eat that? Yeah, I take satisfaction in that. Not going to lie. I don't. And I like Durant. I think Durant's a little bit of a baby at times. I think he picks some terrible Twitter battles and whatnot. I love his game. I do. And I like, I like he, he likes to compete. I give him that. And I love the way he's come back off the Achilles. I can't say a bad thing about Durant in this series. He was magnificent. And his team is going to be back. I may take a little joy in this loss. Plenty of Nick fans are going to take some joy in this loss. Make no mistake. Brooklyn will be back. Where we differ, though, I think Joe Harris is a part of this core. You don't, but I do. Who's up next? John, Saruti, it's Jack. I'm just, I'm so happy. This is like one of, one of the joyous moments in my life. It feels like evil did not get rewarded. I, I, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. Like, Brooke Lopez looked like he had, had bet on the Nets to win with what he was doing towards the end of the game. I was thinking how many, what percentage of Nets fans do you think at the game knew that Brooke Lopez was on their team at some point, let alone their all-time leading scorer? Um, anyway, I'm just overjoyed. All right. Be well. What do we think? That's a great question by Jack. The percentages of the Brooklyn Net fan in the building, as far as knowing Brooke Lopez was a New Jersey and a Brooklyn Net, 60, 65% or is that going too high? That might have to be a Twitter poll question. There are definitely a couple of people in that building who have no damn clue that Brooke Lopez was on the Nets when they were in the playoffs taking on Tibbs and Joe Kim Noah and Nate Robinson with Chicago Bulls. No shot. Now, greatest moment of your life seeing the Nets lose. I mean, that's, come on, Jack. Listen, I enjoyed it, but greatest moment of your life? Come on, you're a sports fan? Come on. It's better when your team wins. It's always better when your team wins as opposed to another team losing. Come on. I don't like that logic one bit. That'd be like me saying, you know, greatest moment of my life is the Adam Wainwright strikeout against Carlos Beltran. Was I rooting for the Cardinals that day? 100%. Greatest moment of my life as a sports fan? Hell no. Hell no. Because you got to find something that is positive involving your team, no matter how bad it might be. Something positive. We like to be positive on this show. Sometimes, at least. Who's up next? I am embarrassed. JJ, Alex, Newark. Absolutely embarrassed. No other way to put it. And you get the Knicks fan gloating. And good for them. As a four seed, gloating, net out, six are out. I don't know which one's more embarrassing. To be completely honest with you, I don't know which one's more embarrassing. I mean, it has to be ours. First of all, Doc Rivers, great coach, great coach. He gets the pass as a great coach, one of the biggest chokers. Go back to his last, I think, 10 playoff series. He's all had leads in the series. He's all lost. Last year, choke job. This year, loses two games. Historically almost impossible to lose. Blows both of them. Game seven at home. 
Let's the redhead just dominate us with Curry getting abused. Somehow Simmons regressed. Well, Doc, Robert, Doc Rivers in to build the process. Simmons now is a basket case, can't even play. And I, you know what, okay, and B maybe was a little banged up. I don't want to hear it. He's playing. Absolute joke. Honestly, disgrace. Because now you got to consider, forget trying to continue to build off this. We learned. It's been enough learning. Okay? The Raptors, devastating. We're going to build off that. Uh-uh. The Celtics last year, right up you know, you know our what. I'm telling you, absolutely embarrassing. And, yeah, I could crash bash them in. Harris is overpaid. He missed some huge layups today. And B may be a little banged up. There's only so much he can do. But here's the thing. To me, you brought Doc Rivers in to take this team to the next level. That's what you did. You know what Doc Rivers did? He had an historically embarrassing playoff loss two years in a row. What's the difference between him and Brown? Nothing. Embarrassing. You know, honestly, I'm embarrassed. I feel for our buddy Alex in Newark. It is going to be a rough couple weeks for our pal. Who is diehard, true blue, Philadelphia 76er. I've gone to a playoff game with the great Alex in Newark. We went to Kawhi's magnificent game four a couple of years ago. And Alex was slobbering his face with cheesesteaks all over the place. Um, We lost a couple of bucks on the Sixers that night. We were not particularly happy. Steaks were good. The rest was not. Everything he said about Doc Rivers is fair. And I've always been a pro-Doc Rivers guy over the years because I like him personally. He seems like a really good dude. Yes, he won with the Boston Celtics. But after 2010, Doc Rivers has had some hideous playoff losses. Clippers up three games to one against a mediocre Rocket team. They lose three straight. The Josh Smith game, disgraceful. Last year in the bubble, up 3-1 to Denver. You got Kawhi and Paul George. I know it's bubble, COVID, weird year. Who cares? You should not lose three straight games to that team. And they did. And they had some awful collapses in those games. This particular series, Alex is right. Philadelphia had no business losing this series to the Atlanta Hawks. And they brought in a guy like Doc Rivers to take them to the next level. That has not happened. And the biggest reason to me, hands down, Philadelphia now is in this very tough predicament. Ben Simmons, my goodness, what a disaster. The play that is going to sum up the Philadelphia 76ers in this particular series, and I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. Game seven, tight game, Ben Simmons passing up a wide open dunk. Bro, dunk the ball because he's basically gun shy and he's got the yips. He's got the yips because he doesn't want to shoot. He doesn't want to shoot a jumper. He doesn't want to lay it in. He don't want to shoot free throws. He don't want to shoot. My critique to Doc why in God's name is he on the floor? Get his ass off the floor. In this day and age in the NBA, you got all that going from a negative standpoint and you're still going to play? Not on my watch. Doc Rivers got to take a hit for this series. Absolutely. Now, he's not going anywhere in Philadelphia because they just hired him. 
year ago, I would have taken Doc Rivers coaching the Knicks. Now, I'm okay with Tibbs, and I wanted Tibbs. But if they would have ended up with Doc, I would have been okay with it. I would have been okay. Doc in the playoffs is a disaster. And that title with the Celtics, that's a long time ago now, folks. That is a long, long time ago. Think about some of these series he has lost. Some can give him a little bit of a pass for. Up 3-2 against the Lakers, the Kobe Gasol Lakers. Perkins gets hurt. Fine. Up 3-2 against LeBron in the heat. LeBron goes off. Better team won. I can live with that. The three I referenced, though, you cannot. That's a bad look for the head coach. But it's a worse look for Ben Simmons. Oh, my God. I wouldn't want that guy anywhere near my team. When you can't shoot in his Bond NBA, it's a problem. Unless you're going to be Giannis, who's just a freak and can finish around the basket and can get past it. Guy like Simmons cannot. Not right now. And it killed Philadelphia. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. This is Jace from the Bronx. I know that the Knicks have been eliminated from the first round, but I just wanted to make a comment after this Hawks-Sixers game. Just the fact that this Sixers crowd decided to just throw shit onto the court and understandably that the, you know, that the Sixers had higher expectations than the Knicks, but just the fact that our fans, our Knicks fans were able to chant, let's go Knicks in the final seconds of them getting eliminated was just so classy and beautiful compared to the Sixer fans who continue to stay classy as ever. Uh, love the show. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment on that. Let's go Knicks. Yeah, it's a bad look for some of the fans that were in Philadelphia, but I never like to sum up an entire fan base based upon a couple of knuckleheads and a couple of jackasses acting like morons, acting like dopes, with maybe one too many yinglings in them. I'm always very, very careful to do that because I don't think it's fair. And I know Philly has a bad reputation. That's obvious. That will look classless at the end of the game. Yeah, a whole lot of fed-up Sixer fans, that's true. Can't throw shit on the court. It's not acceptable. Grow up. And if you're going to do something like that, don't go to a game. Find out who they are and don't let them go to a game ever again. There's no place for that. Two to go. Who's on a horn? Hey, JJ. Nico from the Bay Area over here. Just finished up watching the Yankees game. Back-to-back series wins. We've won five of our last six. Um, <laughs> in that game on the triple play, third one for the Yankees this year. Uh, hey, I want to call and talk a little bit about Gary Sanchez. Now, going into the beginning of the season last year, Gary was, I mean, I think I can speak for a lot of Yankee fans. He was one of the last guys you wanted to see at the plate with how he was playing. And you look at him now, his last 20 games, he's hitting 339, 21 for 62. He's got 10 runs, five doubles, six homers, and 12 RBIs. You know, I don't, I don't think this is as much of a, a, a hot streak as it is. He's really found it. He started to find it again. And, you know, we hope that that can continue, but he has, become the hottest bat for us right now, and it's really showed up in these clutch situations. And I got to give a little credit here. I'm not the biggest Boone guy, but, you know, Boone putting Gary on the bench and putting in Higgy, I think, lit a fire under Gary. And, it's you know, it showed him, hey, I got to fight for my spot. I got to earn it back. And he's really done that. And he's been a great player for us. Um, You know, this team has a lot of kinks to still work out um, before we can talk about being a real threat 
to go for the title this year, but things are definitely uh, turning around, uh, and Gary's been a huge part of that. Wanted to get your thoughts on it. All right, later, JJ. Nico, you are 1,000% right. The last two weeks, the last month, Gary Sanchez has found it. And I want to believe it's sustainable because of the adjustments he's made at the plate. He's not trying to hit a 500-foot home run every time he's up. He has shortened his swing. He has eliminated the leg kick. And this is a make-or-break year for Gary. We've been saying it since the beginning of the season. Got off to a rotten start. He lost his starting gig. Aaron was right to put him on the bench, to demote him. He has now earned that back. He's earned it back to a point where he's moved up in the order. He's played himself into all-star consideration, partially due to the fact that the catcher position is just flat-out terrible, but he's been really good over the last month. And I'm rooting for Gary Sanchez. And I'm going to tell you why I'm rooting for Gary Sanchez. Not only because he's a Yankee, because of how maligned he has been. Gary Sanchez has been one of the most polarizing New York Yankees, I'd say, over the last 15 to 20 years. Seems like everybody's got an opinion on him. Seems like everybody's looking to jump down his throat. And last year, you deserved to. He stunk. He deserved to be benched in game five against Tampa. He, in many ways, felt like a lost cause. To see him as resurgent as he is, it's awesome. We're all suckers for a good comeback story. If you would have told me in early May, this is what you'd get out of Gary Sanchez. I felt like I was one of the last of the Gary apologists. But even me in May, I was like, look, shouldn't be playing every day. I'm happy to see Gary's proving me wrong. I hope it continues. Everybody's the sucker for a good old-fashioned comeback story. I think my mom and the great Anthony McCarron were like the last two on the Gary bandwagon. Even my mom was kind of waning, but she loves her guy. What can I say? Mom's favorite Yankee is Gary Sanchez. Always will stick up for Gary no matter what. And now I got to hear it every other day. Oh, I told you, I told you, I told you. You know, maybe mom could do the show. Maybe we'll set that up for Tuesday or Thursday. If I'm ever looking to take vacation, I'll let mom do the show for 45 minutes or for two hours. That'll be a doozy. Last but not least, who do we got on the voicemail line? Hey, JJ, Shaw from Long Island outside the Coliseum. The most exciting ending I've ever seen to a hockey game in my whole life, man. I finally composed myself. Listen, I called you last time. I was so down the dumps. I even brought you down, man. So sorry about that. Listen, shame on me. I forgot the best coach on the planet stands behind the Islanders bench, ready to make adjustments in this series. They were down two games to one against Pittsburgh. Islanders one and six. Two games to one against Boston. Islanders one and six. Two one here, JJ. Islanders in fucking six, baby. We're going down to Tampa on Monday. Going to that country club, that joke of a hometown crowd. We're gonna take game five. And we're coming back to our house on Wednesday. And I really hope you're there for your first game, man. Because we're going to the fucking cup. Grit is back. Tenacity is back. Ryan Pulak is a fucking legend, my dude. Islanders in fucking six. Believe it, JJ. Believe it, my man. Take care. I love the confidence. I love the renewed swagger from Sean in Long Island. And yeah, if the Islanders win this series and the Islanders win the Stanley Cup, you are going to see the Ryan Pollock play over and over and over again. One of the more insane plays you're ever going to see at the end of a hockey game. Empty net, 
full sprawl, saving the game. Crazy stuff. The Islanders, you're right. They've been money in these games fives. That's going to have to continue if they're going to win this series. they got to win game five. I do not think they'd win a game seven in Tampa. And as we said earlier, Sean Long Island, I will be at the Nassau Coliseum on Wednesday. First ever time at the Nassau Coliseum. Be a lot more fun going to that building if the Islanders are up three to two as opposed to the other way around. It's going to be a hell of a week. Now, I still am going to be licking my wounds. And I did not have a good second round of the NBA playoffs, let me tell you. Between Utah and Philadelphia, blowing back all sorts of smoke in my face. Oh, boy. I don't know what's going to haunt me more. Terrence Mann on Friday night or Simmons on Sunday. I think the Sixers, to be honest. Because how did the Sixers lose that game? Like, I'm thinking about it now. How in God's name did the Sixers lose that game? Trey Young did nothing for three quarters. You're letting Kevin Herter and you're letting Gallinari uh, and you're letting all these guys beat you. Shame on you. Shame on you. And Bede, I'm not going to kill him. Simmons, Rivers, they're going to take a whole lot of heat. And Harris missed a ton of layups still. That Sixer team is going to have to do some serious soul searching in the offseason because I don't know who the taker might be for Ben Simmons. Doc Rivers is not going anywhere. And you just blew and squandered a golden opportunity to get to the finals because you don't have Brooklyn and KD and company to get in your way. Now, I have not seen yet the opening line for Hawks and Bucks. I have not seen the opening line. You know I like to guess these lines. I like to have some fun with that. I am going to guess, I'm going to guess that Milwaukee is favored in the series by minus 185. Right around there. Minus 185, minus 190. And I think Milwaukee will end up being the odds-on Vegas favorite to win the NBA title at this point. Now, as far as the Clippers and Phoenix, Devin Booker went off. My goodness, what a performance. He has been one of the breakout stars of this postseason. Booker, Trey Young, those are the two guys. Phoenix is six-point favorite in game two. They're up to minus 450 in the series. Phoenix is going to win the series. I can't lay 450 at this point. So to me, if you miss the boat on Phoenix, what you have to do, you either have to take a minus one and a half games or you have to hope the Clippers win game two and you get a better price. Because I, for one, cannot go anywhere near minus 450. Can't do it. It's crazy to think about the fact that now we're in a position where we're down a basically one game a night in the NBA. That's the way it goes. And in case you're wondering about the Islander series price, as we will have a game five, pivotal game five on Monday night, the Islanders are plus 165 in game five. They are plus 170 to win the series. To me, you like the Islanders to win game five, you take them to win the series. You might as well scoop that 170 when you can. Not as good a value as you could have had, you know, at the start of the series, but good nonetheless. Before we say goodbye, the great Jeff Money. Money, what's happening, baby? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. It's going to be, we got one game for uh, for tomorrow, Monday, and one game for Tuesday. So Monday, since there's no NBA, I'm going with a Major League Baseball game. From Monday the 21st, I'm going to take the Cincinnati Reds minus the 115 over the Twins. 
Mauer versus Hapna. Mauer is 5-1 and one with a 1.45 ERA on the road versus Hap, who's 2-1 and one with a 4.35 ERA at home. And also the Reds are 8-3 and three versus Lefty. So we're going to go with the Reds for Monday action. For Tuesday, the 22nd, tough battle in the NBA there. I'm going to take the underdog. I'm going to go with the Clippers plus the six. I think they're going to keep it tight, so we'll go with the Clippers there. All right, J.J., again, from Monday, tomorrow the 21st, we're going to go with the Reds minus the 115. And for Tuesday, the 22nd in the NBA, we're going to take the Clippers plus the six. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. Um, I'm not going anywhere near that Reds-Twins pick. It's just a little too chalky, a public side. I'm not going to touch that one. I would lean the Clippers getting a six in game two. Because I think this is going to be a competitive series. You know, the Clippers have shown me something here. The Clippers and the Bucks. The Clippers without Kawhi winning their series against Utah. Milwaukee winning a game seven on the road in Brooklyn. It's big boy basketball. So I don't think the Clippers are going to go quietly into the night. I don't think they're winning this series. Because I think Phoenix is better. And when they get Chris Paul back... That takes their team to another level. I think the Clippers will have at least a moment or two. So I'll take the six points as well, and I will scoop those. Big week for the Mets. Big week in the division for the Mets. You want to really distance yourself with the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies. Chance to do it starting Monday. And everybody's going to be watching DeGrom, so that's something we will be monitoring on Monday. Yankees, hopefully no messing around against the Kansas City Royals. We're back on Tuesday. We will have a New York, New York for you. Leave the voicemails. We'll probably get going at night. Probably an early Wednesday pod, give or take. Great job, fellas. All the love. So up in Ingo today, by the way. Hit the golf ball tremendously. Always a pleasure to see the great Joe B. So it's like my homage to my old buddy. JJ signing off. Enjoy your Monday. Be good.